You're listening to Secrets of Data Analytics Leaders. Thank you for joining our latest episode of Secrets of Data Analytics Leaders. This is your host, Kevin Petrie, VP of Research here at Eckerson Group. It's hard to find a data discipline today that is under more pressure than data governance. On one side, we have the supply of data that is exploding. As enterprises transform their businesses to compete in the 2020s, they're digitizing myriad events and interactions, which creates mountains of data that they need to control. On the other side, demand for data is also exploding. Business owners at all levels of the enterprise need to inform their decisions and drive their operations with data. Under these pressures, data governance teams must ensure business owners have the right access and consume the right high quality data. This requires master data management, reconciliation of disparate data records into a golden record and source of truth, which assists data governance at many modern enterprises. So I'm particularly pleased today to speak with two data leaders from a company whose very business model depends on correct data and therefore master data and data governance. The National Student Clearinghouse is a nonprofit organization that provides reporting, verification, and research services to more than 3,500 colleges and universities, which comprise 97% of higher educational institutions in the United States. When they need to verify the student transcript, institutions go to the National Student Clearinghouse. Today, we're going to learn how National Student Clearinghouse tackles the challenges of governance, master data, and data quality. Our guests are Felicia Perez, Managing Director, Information as a Product Program at National Student Clearinghouse, and Patrick O'Halloran, Enterprise Data Scientist. In our podcast today, we'll define what data quality and MDM are, why you need them, and how to achieve effective quality, data quality, and MDM. So for starters, Felicia and Patrick, welcome, and perhaps you could introduce yourselves. Hi, Kevin. My name is Felicia Perez, and I work uh, very closely with our chief data officer to marshal and provide uh, our data out to our various uh, customers and internal product owners throughout National Student Clearinghouse. I actually started my career as an attorney, so I understand privacy laws and, and all of the very intricacies of governing data and how important it is to have the right people, processes, and tools in play in order to do that effectively. That's a great background for this discussion, understanding at a very visceral level what the legal requirements are. Excellent. Patrick, how about you? Thanks, Kevin. My name is Patrick O'Halloran. I'm the enterprise data scientist at uh, National Student Clearinghouse, and my main charge is focused on guaranteeing the accuracy of our golden learners and uh, coming up with the various matching logic and all the layers um, of our MDM solution. Uh, my background is a kind of a wide gamut of data science disciplines. Uh, I started out early in my career as a social scientist, you know, kind of studying political science and uh, kind of from a quantitative approach. Uh, but then I, I kind of switched gears early on into bioinformatics, and now I'm at NSC. So I, I've kind of dealt with uh, lots of dirty data across lots of disciplines. So that kind of <laughs> suits the role, uh, so to speak. That's funny. I think dirty data is a, a unifying principle across industries and domains. So great. Well, thank you both for joining us here. We have Felicia, an expert on the business and, and the compliance and legal angles, and Patrick, who understands the data and how to clean it from a lot of different angles. 
So Felicia, maybe we can start with you. Tell us about the business problem that National Student Clearinghouse needs to solve for institutions and learners. Our desire as we embarked upon moving to the cloud, like so many other companies are doing these days, was to also for the first time incorporate master data management into that role. We didn't want to do a lift and shift of our data and all of its special qualities <laughs> that needed to be really streamlined in order to make sure that the data that we took to the cloud was as clean and clear as we wanted it to be. So the first business problem that we were trying to solve was kind of a years in the making uh, issue of having so much data and having different learner identities that I needed to be merged together to really understand what was the full volume of the learners that we had and to ensure that every single piece of information about their lifelong uh, learning journey was associated with the correct IDs and that they weren't showing up in two different places within the system. So that was one of the major guiding principles that we had as we embarked on our effort to evaluate uh, all of the MDM tools that were uh, out there in the marketplace to try to figure out which one really matched our particular need to bring all of these records together, to understand who our learners were, to make sure that all of the supporting data was clean, streamlined, and in the right place, and to deal with the volume of data that we have, which is not a not a small issue to uh, is making sure that you've got a tool that can handle your volume and handle it efficiently. So that's very interesting. So the migration was really a forcing function for you to, on the one hand, filter and remove duplicates, but on the other, make sure that you're retaining, as you said, lifelong data sets. How far back do you need to go? Because I, I'm thinking of Press reports that come up for people who, uh, it turns out, didn't go to college X or Y 30 years ago. So I, I would assume that your institution provides a source of truth that goes back pretty far. Yes, it does. We Our uh, learner data starts with graduation from a secondary institution and then goes through anything that happens in the undergraduate or graduate realm. We're also moving into looking at capturing other certifications and um, learner data throughout the life of our learners. You ask how far it goes back. We, uh, we really actually go back to the beginning, <laughs> but if there's an educational record, <laughs> it is in the database of National Student Clearinghouse. Very cool. That's interesting because I know that in some other industries, there's a requirement to retain records for seven years, but we're talking much further back uh, yeah. in, in your realm. So, so tell us more about the um, the technical requirements, and, and if this, some of this bounces to Patrick, great too. Um, the technical requirements this creates in terms of governance, including data quality and master data management, like you said, filtering, but also identifying duplicates and then reconciling those. Yeah, I'll lean into Patrick for his data science side of, of this, but from a business perspective, yeah. You know, our technical requirements were that it, of course, helped us with the deduping process with creating those golden learners is how we refer to, to those records and that data be accessible for matching, that it be quick in terms of meeting all of our SLAs, which are uh, usually sub-second when we talk about the commercial side of the business. And the data needed to be um, marshaled, managed, and made available 
to our various products and to our um, learning community as quickly as possible. Okay, excellent. And so, Patrick, on, on your side, maybe you could elaborate on the process of identifying the duplicates and reconciling those. Because what's interesting is that you've got a tool. I know you've selected uh, Samarki as your platform there, but you've also got people and processes to what types of judgment calls are going to be made by whom about which of two similar records is actually correct. Maybe one of you could take that. I mean, absolutely. People and process is a, a crucial part of the success of our MDM solution thus far. Um, just for some context, I came into the project in April, 2020. So, you know, I've only been at NSC for, you know, about a year and a half. So just okay. the people, the team was really key, kind of bringing me up to speed, just having so many experts who have worked with the data for so long. So I, I really leaned on the team in a lot of ways to, to help build the, the solution. But, um, you know, we, we've taken, the, we've adopted an agile approach uh, with our team and, We've, as best we can, we've tried to, you know, kind of improve the implementation in a very piecemeal way, you know, trying not to bite off more than we can focus on certain types of cases where you might have learners with, you know, records from all kinds of different source systems, trying not to overcomplicate the logic too much. That was really a key thing we wanted to do with this was really simplify the, the logic. The legacy matching system has uh, somewhere in the order of thousands of comparison notes to match all of the learner records together. We've been able to reduce that to about 25 match rules. So that was really an important thing for us was to simplify, but also maintain the accuracy and the performance of, of our matching. Very cool. So how did you go about simplifying the voluminous notes and kind of tribal knowledge into 25 rules. Maybe you could talk a little bit more about what that entailed yeah. in terms of workflow. Yeah, we started with a POC, which was a subset of the data that we knew needed a lot of work. Um, and these were cases that these were learners in our legacy system that either needed to be combined into one learner. So you had you know, multiple learner IDs for their records that needed to be combined into one new uh, learner ID, or cases where you had a learner that was actually maybe two or three different learners that needed to be split up. So by kind of starting out with those messy cases, you know, we were able to really tighten up the logic, find the match rules and the patterns that were most performant, that were able to kind of separate clusters of learners in the kind of correct, um, you know, groupings. Because if you get those messy cases right, you know, you're going to get most of the really simple cases where it's only a couple records per learner coming from maybe one or two different source systems. So that's kind of how we got that started. And so I would assume a lot of this is taking place within the Samarki platform, but then there also might be some custom work, some custom scripting and so forth that you're putting into place. Is that correct? Is it a mix of those two? And how did you reconcile that? So there is some mix. Uh, most of it is the uh, Samarki platform. That, so the, the Samarki data hub is kind of what's running kind of behind the scenes, it generates all of the, the matching queries and you know basically all of the queries that need to be run in order to, to match and to create golden learners and to kind of reconcile and dedupe all of our data. But because of the volume of data we're talking about, we did have to 
work very closely with the Samarki team to add some customizations to help it be as performant as it could be. So that just involved a lot of work in kind of tuning some queries and just kind of uh, dialing in the performance of our Samarki and our Postgres. We're using Postgres as the back end. So I've spent a lot of time working with the, the Samarki dev team and our DBAs to, to get it per- performing really well. And that did involve a lot of uh, customization. And Kevin, I think it's bringing the conversation sort of from the realm of overall MPM to our selected tool, which was Samarki. The people in the process that are inherent within the Samarki team are an important element of the success of this project as well. They have been incredibly supportive, uh, participated in our standups and the volume of data of um, work that we were taking on per two week sprint. They were absolutely there to support, to bounce ideas off of, to not only help Patrick with the um, matching rules part of it, but also the overall incorporation of Samarki into our larger cloud environment and making sure that it had every chance to perform at its absolute optimum level. One of the challenges that we brought to the party was, um, as, as you and I discussed earlier in this call, a massive volume of data. And so I thought as we went through the POV process, we knew that it was going to um, answer our needs for the data as it came in and for our future state. And once we got into the real business of um, making sure that the past matched the future in terms of how clean the data was and how it was matched up, you know, we definitely hit some roadblocks, some challenges, but we were never alone in facing those. And we never, you know, felt that we had to wait on getting to the right solution. So the people of the Smarky team and the way that they fit into our process uh, really was part of the success of this initiative. So that's very interesting. And, and to your point, Felicia, it really is a team effort. And so I know that you face, as you mentioned, back with the CDO, and maybe you could just talk about how you've we've identified here requirements, huge data volumes, the need for uptime. You got to continue amidst this cloud migration, amidst this pruning and matching emerging process. You have to continue providing validation services to all your existing institutional customers. So you're kind of uh, repairing the plane in flight. And maybe you could just talk about how, from a business perspective, you oversaw that effort and communicated back to the C-level to uh, make sure that they were aware of this uh, initiative and had confidence in, in the execution. Yes, yeah, so that's a very important point. We are we continue to use our um, previous enterprise matching service and our uh, on-prem, although it's not actually on our-prem now. <laughs> We're kind of have graduated to a data center, but it's still the principally is our on-prem system uh-huh. to serve ongoing business because you're quite right. Like a clean cut over was just not something that was going to fit our risk profile. So as we embarked on MDM and bringing this into the NSC system, one thing that we knew that we had to keep an eye on was continuity of service and um, honoring our uh, 99.9% uptime uh, commitment to our customers. So our on-prem system is still operating. We are still using our enterprise matching service uh, for the core of the business. And then as applications are ready to move to the cloud, they not only switch to the cloud, but they move uh, to Smarky as the matching engine. And that has worked out really well. We've started, you know, this has been very strategic and what we picked to move to the cloud first 
so um, that we are, you know, if you will, crawling before we walk and before we run. In terms of the volume, we want to make sure that we're seeing it operate in the cloud, that we understand how to have the cloud most efficiently and effectively uh, put the right power beneath everything to make sure that it's running the way we want it to and that we're um, meeting or surpassing both the match rates that we saw with our enterprise matching system and the speed at which those matches are occurring. So for us to do a full cut over to the cloud is definitely going to be a couple of year effort. But our main effort with MDM has really been in the last year. Uh, we, interestingly enough, um, are just closing our uh, MDM implementation project um, and moving it to a full production system uh, in the current sprint. So we have a, a couple of services that are using it in production. We're very happy with how that has gone. And we're confident that we are built to take on our larger applications and continue our superior service. Excellent. And so, so Patrick, I know that there's an architectural element to all this, and you've alluded a little bit to the, the database underneath and stuff, but maybe you could talk a little bit about the architecture on-prem and in the cloud and the hybrid element here. What are the different pieces of the puzzle and how are they fitting together to enable what Felicia has been describing? Sure. I'll try my best not to gloss over too much of the details, <laughs> but on-prem, we have a couple different source systems. Uh, mainly, we have data residing in an Informix data warehouse, an Oracle data warehouse, and the enterprise matching really mainly works inside the Oracle data warehouse and kind of comes up with the on-prem learner IDs. And then, you know, once all that's done and as we receive new data from uh, various universities and other sources, that gets migrated over to the cloud and then goes through a series of cleansing processes that data governance kind of came up with some data cleansing rules. Those were implemented by our data management team. And then that cleanse data gets sent over to Samarki, which um, in the back end is, is a Postgres database and all the you know, matching rules and uh, survivorship rules are computed and we kind of come up with our master and golden records. Okay, so in the new realm that you're cutting over to as we speak, when an institution calls you to confirm, say a graduate institution, that an undergraduate applicant did in fact go to this institution and receive these grades, what do they interface with within this new cloud realm? So Samarki also, you know, on top of the Postgres data layer has REST client that essentially our customers would call the, some set of request data. That request data would get matched up to the data we have in the warehouse. And then it would return a response of, you know, kind of what are the potential matches based on that uh, set of request data. Okay. So Felicia, from a legal and compliance perspective, maybe you could talk a little bit about uh, what the requirements are there in terms of personally identifiable information, in terms of applicable regulations for that angle, and other regulations that you might need to demonstrate compliance with, and how that influences the initiative that, that we're discussing here? Sure. The main regulation that we work within is FERPA. And the number one concern of National Student Clearinghouse is the absolute protection of student data. Okay. And I'm sorry to cut in, but do you mind defining FERPA? 
The main piece of legislation that we work to stay in absolute compliance with is the Family Education Rights and Privacy Act, or FERPA. Okay. And just with the National Student Clearinghouse, our absolute number one guiding light goal is the absolute total protection of student PII. There is nothing that is more important to National Student Clearinghouse than protection of that data. And so, of course, when we're talking about a matching engine um, that is, you know, matching the students to their data, one of the main things that we looked at with any of these solutions was that we had to, to be able to trust that it was going to extend that protection to our PII. And um, of course, we have that PII only in one environment and are very careful with how we protect it. But Samarki offered a seamless fit into our maniacal protection of that PII data as well. Okay, so that's great. And so a lot of the typical controls that folks put into place, and Patrick, you can step in here as well, but it'd be role-based access controls in order to interface with the Samarki system, role-based access controls to interface with the client system that institutions would access. Is that correct? Is there also encryption or, or maybe you could just talk from a security perspective about ways to restrict usage so that it's only authenticated people and authorized actions? Yeah. Um, so there's definitely some aspect of role-based authentication. Now, I'm not a security expert by any means, but I think, yeah, that's one piece of it. I'm, I'm sure there's some encryption layer. Somebody who's much more familiar with the security side of things could speak way more intelligently than I could about it. But then there's also, you know, people in process layer to it as well, where there's um, lots of governance about who has access, what credentials of theirs can access, what databases and environments. So that's also key too. Yeah. Okay. And then from a compliance perspective, Felicia, what do you need to provide audit records back to FERPA regulators that demonstrate diligence in complying with their requirements? Yes, we have an entire compliance area that uh, participates in audits and works very closely with the data in our records and uh, making sure that we are always in complete compliance. Okay, good. So Patrick, I, I'd love to hear, I understand that you're devising some machine learning models to validate the accuracy of how you match and merge records. Tell us more about that. And that sounds like the kind of advanced analytics exercise that folks in a lot of industries could learn from because they're trying to figure out at scale and at low latency how to, to validate that they're dealing with the right data. So we're definitely in the early stages of that. I would say right now, more in an exploratory data analysis mode uh, with, with okay. regard to kind of building out this machine learning layer to our MDM. But you know, the idea is that we had a lot of learners we needed to combine, but the way Samarki works, there is risk of combining too many records into uh, learner IDs, which, you know, without getting into the weeds too much with the matching algorithm. If you had like three or four records for a student, records A, B, C, and D, if records A and B match and records B and C match, um, but you have no explicit link between, like pairwise between A and C, well, Samarki will just assume by kind of a transitive logic that A and C also match. But the risk there is you could end up combining, you know, like, especially in cases where you have like a really common first last name and maybe they also share uh, like, like some other common identifier. Um, you, you, you kind of 
overmatching and combining too many records into one learner ID. So the idea is that we want to be able to uh, detect when that happens at scale. And we're thinking of a way to kind of build a classifier out to, to look at um, some features of a learner and to kind of flag whether that might be a potential overmatch or not. And then obviously we would need to send those records out for manual review. You know, we're not at the point where we can kind of automatically recommend how to split a record. That's definitely, you know, it's an ideal scenario. We would love to be able to, you know, for now we need to you know, kind of walk before we run and just detect you know, whether we think a learner might be overmatched um, and you know, hopefully one day tackle that important problem of like, how do we actually kind of split that at scale if we needed to. But that's kind of where we are with that. It's very early days. But it's, it's definitely going to help us ensure the accuracy of the golden record. You know, we have over 160 million golden learners. Right? If you kind of do some back of the napkin math there, if even like 0.5% of golden learners were overmatched, that's still 800,000 learners that you have to kind of figure out how to split, which is just a massive effort to kind of do manually. So definitely going to be important for us to be able to do that at scale. This is great. So are there starter algorithms that you were able to download from PyTorch, Scikit-Learn. There are a ton of machine learning libraries out there we know where you can get kind of a starter model and start to train that and adapt it to your needs and your data. Is that type of algorithm available for what you're describing or did you are you starting from scratch? You no, know, well, we won't start from scratch. We'll definitely, you know, kind of lean on that ecosystem of uh, machine learning packages in, in Python. We're not at the point where we're going to commit to, you know, a particular algorithm. We're definitely, because we're early on, right? We can really experiment and kind of figure out what is the most performant, what's the most accurate classifier, whether it be a random forest or that we're definitely early on enough where we can take our time and experiment and come up with the best possible classifier. Okay. Very cool. So I guess the final question, and this uh, might be for Felicia or Patrick as well, is training and adoption. It sounds like in, in your case, you've got a relatively finite group of people that would interface with Samarki Data Hub and that would interface with the output. Was there a lot of retraining required in order to shift what you're doing real time to this new cloud platform? I will give you my business perspective and then I'll let uh, Patrick give his perspective because Great. he's, uh, I think, a lot closer to it and probably could answer the, uh, what did he go through to uh -huh. make the matching rules work? He made it look absolutely seamless. So again, people, process, and tool all working together is what has made this successful. But from my perspective, you know, no, there was no um, massive retraining effort. All of the systems that I have seen put in place over my 20 plus year career, the uh, Support with system integration that we got from Samarki was really impressive and just in time and ongoing. So they worked really closely with our infrastructure team to understand exactly how it needed to be. All of those connections needed to be set up to get the most out of the tool as quickly as possible. We did do a five-day training, which I will say happened literally, I think, maybe four to six weeks after COVID hit. So we were um, all <laughs> hunkered down and um, embracing Zoom. And that five-day training, I was really impressive. They, uh, the trainer was fantastic. They kept everyone's attention. There was really good exchange of information. And we were all very new to that kind of group remote training. And so, yeah, your, your question really like 
snap me back to that point in time and me thinking what I'm bringing in this really complicated tool and we can't even be in the same room with anyone yeah that turned out not to be an impediment you know the the class was run really well there were checkpoints for knowledge transfer and I think everyone walked out of that training feeling like they were prepared with what they needed to embark on the journey and we literally got started that next week So that's my perspective. I would say Patrick's from, you know, sort of inside the tool and learning about the matching rules, um, also completely relevant to answer your question. Yeah. So what I would add is, you know, so the Samarki architecture uh, was really nice because, you know, it's mostly backed by Postgres, which is just a SQL dialect, right? We We have so many folks internally that work with SQL on a daily basis. You know, so many folks in our team, that's just, we kind of, that's, it's almost like a second language for all of us. And so that made it really easy to kind of hit the ground running with that is that we could just kind of, you know, get our hands dirty with the data and just run queries and discover patterns. You know, there's just a lot of collaboration that kind of made that all work. With regard to the tool itself, yeah, there was definitely some learning curve because just with how the tool worked and building the various match rules, uh, for some context, the the match rules are built in a language called SEMQL, which is almost like SQL, but it's kind of Samarki's internal language that they use to kind of alias different functions across various SQL dialects and servers. So there was a little bit of learning around that, but really other than that, we were able to, to the ground running pretty quickly. Excellent. Well, Felicia and Patrick, you've been very insightful. I really appreciate you getting our our community smarter on the topics of data governance and MDM. As I said, it's great to hear from practitioners for whom that's core to the business model. Uh, So thank you both for your time. You're very welcome, Kevin. It's a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. If you want more content from business intelligence to data management to data science, browse to the Eckerson Group website at eckerson.com.